Before we begin this episode of Klondike Gold Rush History, two quick disclaimers. First, this was our first interview episode, and we had a few audio issues. Apologies if the sound levels are a bit low in a few places. Second, a quick warning that once or twice you'll hear our guest using some salty language, more suitable to a sheep camp saloon than Sunday tea at the commissioner's official residence. Watch out for that. Thanks. Here's the show. Hello, and welcome to the History of the Klondike Gold Rush, Episode 12. I'm Keith Halliday. And I'm Pascal Halliday. Today on the podcast, we have a special guest in the studio, Alice Sear. Alice is a longtime resident of Skagway who now lives in the Yukon. She spent many years as an interpreter for the National Park Service and gave lectures on a variety of cruise ships. Alice was also a resource for the book White Pass and Yukon Route, A Pictorial Journey, and has given many talks over the years on gold rush history. In addition, Alice is a relative of ours. She married my great-uncle, Paul Sear, making her one of the only people around these days able to say that her father-in-law climbed the Chilkoot Pass during the gold rush. Welcome, Alice. Ah, thank you. I'm glad to be here. Alice, why do you think that people still find the Klondike Gold Rush so interesting? Well, it's sort of the ultimate get-rich-quick scheme, really. And there's a lot of adventure. There's a lot of interesting things to it historically. It took place in a in a depression. So here, suddenly, you can't buy enough food to feed your family in San Francisco, but a ship came in loaded with gold. And if you could just get there... You'd be rich, too. So, Alice, you've worked extensively on the history of the railway, the White Pass and Yukon route, as well as the White Pass Trail, and we, in fact, um, quoted from one of your articles on Dead Horse Gulch. So I wondered if you could just sort of take us back in time and describe what it was like to do the White Pass Trail, you know, at the height of the gold rush. Mm. The White Pass Trail was one of two trails, Chilkoot Trail and the White Pass. The White Pass was shorter or longer, but it was chosen because it was lower and a bit more gradual, did not have that fantastical last climb at the summit, and they could bring horses over it, they thought. And so they sent outside for horses, which came in on steamships and were literally pushed over the over the rail to swim ashore and then they were put to work on the on the white pass so that made the white pass the better of the trails because it was lower but the horses made the white pass a bloody nightmare because the horses were quickly gathered up in in the stockyards in Seattle, where they had were, had been uh, too old to pull a big load, and so they were sent off to become dog food. And instead of becoming dog food, they became pack horses on the White Pass Trail, which I'm afraid turned them into dog food. So there's a lot of sadness to the gold rush, particularly in the way they treated the animals, because they were so desperate. There was an incredible depression going on in the United States, and this offered hope if you could just get there. 
the gold nuggets were lying down, lying along on the ground. And you would be rich and you could go back and take care of your family. So there was a lot of desperation that was much deeper than just being desperate to get rich. Well, I wanted to ask you about a Skagway resident who acquired a lot of gold nuggets, but maybe not in the traditional way. When people think of Skagway, they always want to talk about Soapy Smith. Was he that important in Skagway at the time? Do you think he deserves the big place he has in Skagway's history? Mm, that's a hard answer to question, or hard question to answer, because Soapy Smith was very important to Skagway. He was the most important man to dodge. He had a lot of schemes, all of them dishonest. He was a professional huckster. He came in with the idea of of getting rich off of suckers. And there was a sucker born every minute during the gold rush. People got sucked into the idea that they could go north and get fabulously rich. And the gold was just lying on the ground. So he was important in a way. And now he becomes an important story because there's a lot of drama to it. And he epitomizes the greed for gold that drove the gold rush. So, Alice, I'm not sure if you've seen the Wikipedia page for Sophie Smith and uh, the shootout with Frank Reed on the Juno Wharf, but it's it's one of the more controversial pages on Wikipedia. People keep editing it one way or the other, and the, the debate continues to this day over who drew their gun first, who shot who. What's your opinion of what actually happened on July 8, 1998? I think they must have shot both at the same time because Frank Reed was shot in the stomach. And if Soapy had fired first and shot Frank Reed in the stomach, he probably wouldn't have been able to get it together to shoot second. So I think that they, it was a simultaneous. They both shot. Soapy was hit in the chest, I believe. I can't remember. And um, Frank Reed was hit in the stomach and took him, I think, three days to die. So with, with, with that scenario, I think it, it's... I think it's obvious that they fired simultaneously. So uh, everyone talks about the shootout and Soapy getting shot, but what happened after that? His whole gang was still in Skagway. Uh, how did the town clean itself up and deal with the rest of the gang? What did they do? I think the um, gang, as I remember it, um, very prudently got on the first boat out, got out of Dodge. I mean, Soapy was their leader. He was the one with the big mouth and the big gun. And without Soapy, they were just common crooks. So I think that that was why. I think they just left. We've been exploring some really amazing stories about Gold Rush residents of Skagway. What do you think is your favorite story about a stampeder? Oh, there's lots of good stories about Stampeders. You want a sad story? There were two brothers who were together, very, very close, lived all their lives hand in hand, married two sisters, went to the gold rush. They got into such a furious fight 
on over the packing, which was so hard f- for them to do, for everyone to do. And they got in a fight and shot each other. Wow, that is really sad to think about. Do you have a glad story to maybe cheer us up? Oh, it's there are lots of glad stories about glad people. There was um, a woman in Seattle. A lot of the stories take are from Seattle, actually. She was in Seattle. Her husband had gone off to the gold rush. She had no idea where he was or, or what was happening to him. And he came back with poke full of gold, lots of gold. She was uh, scrubbing in a scrub scrub bucket um, in the yard when he showed up, made, trying to make money to feed the children. And when he came with the gold, she just dumped the laundry tub and all its contents out on the ground. And I think that's just pure joy. So uh, your own uh, father-in-law, I guess, he went over the Chilkoot and uh, never actually made it to Dawson City because he started guiding people through Miles Canyon and making a few bucks that way around Whitehorse. But uh, if you yourself had arrived in Skagway in 1898, what job do you think you would have tried to get? Would you have gone for the gold? Or something else. If I was prettier and had bigger boobs, I'd go for be a dance hall girl. I mean, that was where the fun was. That was where the money was. The whole thing was one big party. And I think the dance hall girls just epitomized it. Alice, you've spent a lot of time working with tourists in Skagway, some of whom have their very own interesting ideas about how things work in Alaska. What do you think is the silliest question a tourist has asked you? About just finding gold lying around on the ground. Some of them actually be, did, hadn't done any research, didn't realize that there were thousands of miles to be walked with your pack on your back to even get to where the gold was, and that it wasn't just lying on the ground. It had to be scooped out of the gravels and panned out. It had to be dug laboriously find, to find a gold vein in, in rock. I think they no one... I, I just feel like people just had no idea. For uh, people who hike the Chilkoot Pass today with their fancy Gore-Tex jackets and ultra-lightweight <laughs> ultra stoves, I mean... How do you describe what the real Chilkoot experience was back in the days of 98? In two words, bloody awful. They wore uh, heavy woolens, which weighed tons and tons and, and when they got wet. And if they had an oilcloth slicker, that was heavy, and, and they would put it on over everything else. It wasn't anything as glamorous as it had been presented in newspaper articles about finding gold. It was very, very hard work. It was cutthroat competition. It was cold. It was hunger. It was blisters. It was aching knees. It was everything miserable that could happen to a body. I guess getting over the mountains. Once they got over the mountains, there were no guarantees that they would find gold. None at all. The most the people who found the gold were the first ones on the scene. The ones who followed the rush were Johnny's comes lately, 
Johnny-come-latelys, and they had to take uh, what was left over, which would have been a, a um, what am I trying to find? A, a claim. They would have to find a claim, and there were so many there before them that it was way up the creek where the gold was not. So that's it's one of the sad things about the gold rush, that the people who got rich and spent it so gloriously, wildly, with such a wild abandon, they were the first ones there. The ones who came on the basis of the newspaper articles in the Seattle press, they found that most of the claims on the good parts of the creek had already been staked. And so they were left with the tail end. Tail end of the tailings, and there ain't much there. Alice, a lot of stories about the Klondike and the Chilkoot Trail focus on the men who went over the trail. What do you think it would have been like for the women who were coming to the Klondike during the gold rush? I think it would have been much worse than for the men because the women do not have as much strength and endurance. Um, if you were a pretty woman, somebody would be happy to to pack, take your backpack, take your pack. Somebody would be happy to help you. If you were not a pretty woman, you pretty much had to do it on your own. And women have problems or things to deal with. Women have things to deal with that, that um, when we as women now think about, our mind, our mind immediately goes to, you know, how did they deal with menstruation on the Chilkoot Trail? How did they deal? There were babies born on the Chilkoot Trail. How did they deal with all the things that only women can do and take a lot of time, a lot of effort, a lot of equipment, a lot of sterilization. You know, how did they do that? How did they accomplish that? And there were ch babies born on the trails. There were lots of women who were wi wives and even more women who were dancehall girls. And I am quite fond of the dancehall girls. If you can think of any attraction in Skagway that people could visit to get a real image of what Skagway was like during the gold rush, what attraction would you pick? It would have to have something to do with Klondike Gold Rush National Historical Park because they have poured so much resource and professional historians into researching that gold rush. And they have found and restored the original pictures. They, they have uh, done wonderful things with the history, even beyond what Pierre Burton did with Klondike Fever, which was if you were to only ever read one book about the gold rush, it should be Klondike Fever. The Klondike has captured people's imaginations since 1898 uh, with people like Robert Service and Jack London and films and television. How do you think all of that media has affected how people perceive the Yukon and Alaska? It's been presented as one great, wonderful adventure. And it was, but it wasn't all a great adventure. 
There were times when people literally died on the trail of sheer exhaustion. They broke their legs on the trail, and, and horses broke their legs and had to be shot. There was so much hardship that gets overlooked with the glory of the photos of going up that, the last summit of the Chilkoot there, and the long line of men. And, and that is such a, such a wonderful example of the gold rush, but it's not the whole story. And the backstory of the hardship and sometimes downright starvation, because if you didn't have it when you arrived in Skagway, there was nowhere else to get it. So Alice, let's talk for a minute about the White Pass Railway. It must have seemed like a mad scheme at the time to build a railway over those mountains, um, and, it, and yet they did it. How did they do it, and, uh, and how did it turn out for those who built it? Blood, sweat, and tears is how they did it and the lives of hundreds and hundreds of horses. It was engineering and money from England. It was for the Stampeders, their last best chance to get rich. And so too did the investors in the companies that put forth the money for the railroad. So there was a lot of, um, a lot of people looking to get rich in a variety of ways. The dance hall girls, the madams in the brothels, the people who wrote about it, it it's late as they're, well, they're still writing about it. All right. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast, Alice. It's been really great to have you. Oh, thank It's wonderful to be here. It really is. And it's been some years since I ate slept and breathed Klondike history when I worked for the National Park Service. And, and uh, it's just been fun. And I thank you for giving me the opportunity to have a fun time. Thanks, Alice. If you liked this episode, please tell a friend and rate us on Apple Podcasts. If you really liked the episode, please go to our website, which also has links and maps about this episode, and make a donation. That's klondikegoldrush.org. Even a few bucks helps cover the costs of equipment and hosting. We didn't do this podcast to get rich, but, as an old miner might say, it would be nice to make enough to get our grub steak back. <laughs>